Now, you may know that yesterday was the anniversary, the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death. And there are two um, books or book of books um, that have most influenced the English language and particularly phrases and idiom and things that have entered the English language. One is the King James Version of the Bible and the other is the complete works of Shakespeare. So I thought we would begin by playing a little game. So the game is Bible or Shakespeare? So I'm going to give you a well-known phrase that has entered the language from one of those two sources. Then I'm going to say Bible or Shakespeare, and you're going to say preferably just one of either Bible or Shakespeare. So are you ready? A man after his own heart. Bible or Shakespeare? Pretty much unanimously there on the Bible. It is, in fact, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Right. Give up the ghost, Bible or Shakespeare? Oh, that was pretty 50-50. And a few more votes for Shakespeare there. Um, That is actually also the Bible. It's a phrase that's used often in the book of Job. Job chapter 3, verse 11 being one example. The world's mine oyster. Come on, that's Shakespeare. From, in fact, the Merry Wives of Windsor. Two more. I like this one. You ready? Holier than thou, Bible or Shakespeare? I thought you were going to say Shakespeare. It's from the Bible. It's Isaiah chapter 65. (laughs) Okay, last one. To the manor born, Bible or Shakespeare? You see, you've all lost your confidence now, haven't you? (laughs) Shakespeare. In fact, from Hamlet. There we are. That really had little to do with anything except that I just thought it was fun. So, um, as Kate said, my soapbox topic for the morning is the Bible. whole thing in 25 minutes, so buckle up. Um, my day job is in a Bible agency. Um, that's a Christian charity that makes resources and programs, um, all trying to help communities engage with the Bible and experience it as life-changing, affirming, leading to um, an experience of God and to knowledge and experiences themselves, and hopefully leading to change, not just kind of personal change, but change and transformation in our communities. Um, Most of you have probably never heard of a Bible agency. I most have to explain it when I'm traveling and you get to to immigration, and they say, what do you do? And you say, I work for a Bible agency. And then you think, I should just say Christian charity. That would be easier. But there are, in fact, um, hundreds of organizations like this around the world. Um, LifeWords actually began as Scripture Gift Mission, and it's about 130 years old. So the pictures in that video were actually all from our archive. Um, Bible agencies are advocates for the Bible. They're translators of the Bible, publishers of the Bible, distributors of the Bible, often trying to find ways to reduce some of the barriers to people's access to Scripture. That all adds up to something like a billion-dollar industry. So the Bible is actually big business. So I'm just going to show you some words that were from our brand statement in about 2007. So my agency is called Life Words, and this is what we had to say. The words of the Bible are life words. Words for life, words of life, words of love, of hope, of wisdom, 
words of compassion, of justice, of faith, and of living life together in a troubled world. Words for every human being on the planet. Life words always contain the seeds of possibility, of hope, and of change. Whatever language you speak, whatever culture you find yourself in, wherever you are in life's journey, the Bible can affirm, guide, and inspire positive life choices. And I can assent to that. I think I believe that this library of books, as Steve is fond of reminding us, this collection of writings that has been around in one form or another for about 2,500 years, um, tells us an incredible story about God and humanity. It's remained at the heart of Christian tradition, um, at the source of the Christian community. It's been um, the source of doctrine and faith. It's been something that's inspired to people to great action um, in the world. It also includes mystery. Um, we experience um, the Bible sometimes as profound truth that has power to shape and changes. We can read it and read it or listen to it and listen to it and never reach the end of it. Um, Rob Bell describes it as a wild and untamed or untamable text. But... And yet, um, that very positive spin is not always our experience of this book of books. And it's not always my experience. I think if we're honest, the Bible, or anyone standing up like me this morning trying to advocate for the Bible, can be boring, impenetrable, lifeless, um, even offensive. Um, most people attending at least more evangelical churches have spent their lives being told the importance of reading the Bible themselves, preferably daily, preferably in something called a quiet time. Um, and yet there are loads of surveys done on um, Bible engagement, asking Christians what they actually do with the Bible. And even in those same churches that would label themselves as Bible-believing, the statistics are consistently quite low. One in five people who regularly attend church say they never read the Bible at all. 60% read it once a week or less, and only 20% read it on a daily basis. So there's an awful lot of emphasis placed on that idea of daily Bible reading. But actually, the truth is, it's for most of us not really our experience of the Bible. When asked in these same surveys um, what they think about the Bible, many Christians admit that we find the Bible hard to read, inaccessible, irrelevant, more damningly, we're not really convinced it's credible. Um, our core question is, does it work in real life? Is it true to our experience? The biggest emotion um, people say they feel towards the Bible and the subject of Bible reading is generally guilt or inadequacy. Um, perhaps more seriously, even listening to um, my little opening about how wonderful the Bible is um, and to these words on the screen... Um, some of you may have been squirming in your seats a little bit, and um, rightly so, because our history and relationship with the Bible is not straightforward, many of us, um, and the Bible's history in the world isn't straightforward. This is a quote um, actually from 1985 that says this, we the Indians of the Andes and of the Americas would like to take this opportunity, John Pope uh, John Paul II was visiting Peru. I'd like to take this opportunity of John Paul II's visit to give the Bible back to him. 
because in five centuries it has not given us love, nor peace, nor justice. Please take back your Bible and hand it over to our oppressors because they need it more than we do. Um, Too often people claiming authority from the biblical text have um, found themselves on the wrong side of justice. Slavery, um, racism, colonialization and Western empire, discrimination against women, the LGBT community, to name just a few examples, are all things that have been directly supported from scripture and for people's use of scripture. Here are some more little quotes. This is from, sorry, I don't have this one written down, so I'm going to read it from the screen. This is from the Declaration of the Causes which Impel the State of Texas to secede from the Federal Union. Should you ever be listening to people who tell you that we need more kind of biblically inspired government, this might make you think a little bit about what that means. Um, Here's a statement from um, the State of Texas in the 1800s. The doctrine of equality of all men, irrespective of race or colour, is a doctrine at war with nature, in opposition to the experience of mankind and in violation of the plainest revelations of divine law, by which they mean the scripture. Servitude of the African race as existing in these states is mutually beneficial to both bond and free and is abundantly authorized and justified by the experience of mankind and the revealed will of the almighty creator as recognized by all Christian nations. One more. This is from a U.S. congressman around about the same time who later became a federal congressman. He says, I know of but one sure standard in determining what is and what is not sin or sinful. That standard is the written law of God as prescribed in the Old and the New Testament. By that standard, the relation of master and slave, even in a much more abject condition than existed with us, is not founded in sin. It's one example um, of how people look to the Bible to justify slavery. So, having told you, um, uh, those are some old examples in a way, um, deliberately so, because I think some are, uh, it's a little bit easier to, to look back in history and see things in which people have used the Bible badly. It would take us a lot longer, perhaps, to talk about the ways in which Scripture still does harm today. Um, but they are... Um, still quite shocking examples, I think. I was at a gathering recently where we heard some stories from First Native, First Nation or Native American people from the deaf community um, and also from um, sort of a story looking back at apartheid South Africa, all contexts in which the Bible had been used very much for harm and not for good. So having told you that I'm passionate about the Bible is a wonderful thing, and having told you that I think it's been used for great harm in the world, where exactly are we heading this morning? Um, I hope that we might leave today a little bit more inspired, actually, about the Bible and its part in our worlds, bearing in mind um, some of the difficulties that I've highlighted very quickly. Um, I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about why it's worth working through some of the difficulties and engaging with Scripture and how we can experience the Bible as life words. Um, I should say, I feel a little bit like I'm probably preaching to the choir this morning, um, because I really love what this church does in terms of engaging with the Bible, and I'm going to refer to a few of those things as I go along. Um, I think that we 
um, have, I think we do some really great stuff and it's why I'm part of the community really because I have so much to learn here um, about our approach to scripture. So if you feel like I'm telling you things that you already know, then you can just join in and say amen. So very briefly, I thought we'd look at four things that just happen to begin with a C. Um, that are my four C's on engaging well with the Bible. And you may have others of your own. So let's take the first one. Engaging well with the Bible, I think, means remembering that the Bible is a conversation and also being invited into that conversation. Now, the most common icon for the Bible in in popular culture is this. Uh, A book, probably a black book, probably with a nice bit of gold on it, and a closed book. Um, Definitively finished, written by the hand of God, um, tied up in concepts like infallibility and inerrancy. Um, People routinely refer to the Bible as an instruction manual, a book of answers, God's roadmap for life. Um, I think we have to really challenge those metaphors and change them for something better. The Bible is not an instruction manual. It's a conversation. It's written by human authors and authors who made decisions about what they included and what they didn't include, authors who had a particular agenda, a story that they wanted to tell. There's a nice little quote from the very last line of the Gospel of John, where the writer says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. In other words, even in the Gospel stories, what we have is an edited version. We see the author's hand in deciding. They were telling four very different Gospels, each addressing particular things and telling a particular story constructed for a particular reason. Um, And so we do well to bear that in mind when we're approaching the Bible. Here's a couple of other things. Um, Different authors disagree with each other. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra, two good examples. Read those books alongside each other, written at the same time, written to the same situation, very different worldviews, very different take on what's happening. Um, Authors, Old Testament prophets particularly, critique how other people are using scripture how they're living out the law, Um, and there's lots in Amos about how the priests were um, focusing on sacrifices, um, but not a great deal else that the law talked about. Um, Jesus often quotes scripture and says, you've heard it said, but I say, um, and so he brings a different meaning and a different understanding um, to what is already a part of our Old Testament canon. Um, New Testament authors recognize the complexity of both testaments. I'll give us a couple of quotes. This is from 1 Timothy where Paul says, uh, some people are desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make assertions. In other words, people are using the scriptures not terribly well. Um, The author of 2 Peter, talking actually about Paul's letters, says there are some things in them, hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Um, In other words, I just wanted to illustrate that the Bible itself recognizes the problem. 
Uh, the Bible is not... I don't think we have to defend the Bible against the idea of there being contradictions or different views. The Bible acknowledges that. The authors acknowledge that. The Bible is a conversation that takes place over a very long period of time between people with different worldviews, different cultures, and different experiences of life. Um, I think if we think of the Bible like a conversation rather than a closed book, it actually helps our thinking about what the Bible actually is. Many of the stories in the Bible began as oral traditions, handed down from generation to generation until someone collected them, edited them, and actually wrote them down, sometimes centuries later than the events that were being talked about. It's a great quote from Rob Bell. He says, that's years and years of people sitting around fires and walking along hot, dusty roads and gathering together to hear and discuss and debate and wrestle with these stories. All of which suggest if the Bible is a conversation, then it's one that we're invited into. One in which we can debate and wrestle and recognize our struggles and recognize the things that puzzle us, offend us, um, inspire us, warm us. Um, we're a part of the conversation. Conversation rather than a closed book feels a lot more real, it feels closer to our experience of how we actually make meaning in our lives and the world that we're a part of, and it feels more full of potential than the idea of the Bible as a set of already defined and closed ideas and instructions for life. So that's my first C, conversation. Okay. You'd expect this one if someone's going to talk to you about how to read the Bible well. They might have something to say about context. So I'm going to try and move through this fairly fast. So I think most of us would say that recognizing context is really important to trying to understand the scriptures. Um, it takes us beyond a shallow reading of the text and often reveals what a radical and alternative story the Bible tells I don't know if you've had that experience of being with someone that is able to talk a little bit more than you know about the context of some part of the Bible you might feel you knew quite well. And that sense of, oh, hang on a second, that's what's going on here. Because you understand the context um, that the author is writing into and why they might be writing that particular story. Um, far from being boring, I think the Bible often is really challenging. It's, it's challenging prevailing narratives. Um, it's the story of the Egyptian empire told by slaves. It's the story of the Babylonian empire told by exiled prisoners. It's the story of the Roman empire told by an occupied people. Um, in the history of history, that's pretty unique. History is normally written by the winners and yet the Bible is often written from below, from a very different viewpoint, challenging power and challenging empire. Um, so here are some context questions that might help us as we're engaging with the Bible for ourselves. So um, if you like, there's kind of three worlds that we could think about when we're looking at the Bible. There's the world behind the text. So when we're reading a story, who's the author? How might first listeners have heard this story? Um, why did people think it was important to tell this? Why did this story end up in its passing down and passing on as somehow 
being one of the stories that got written down and included. Um, what was it that moved someone to record these words? What was happening in the world at the time? How does this passage or story relate to other stories or cultural understanding and particularly sacred stories of the culture of the time? That's always an interesting question. Uh, how does it differ from those stories? So um, one of the first times I came to this church, Dan did a brilliant sermon on the flood story um, and the other flood stories that were, that were um, in sort of um, culture at the time. And there are some really interesting differences between the flood story in the Bible and the flood stories in Babylonian um, understanding. And those differences can help us kind of think about why the author, what's the author actually trying to point to um, and to say. So loads and loads of questions that kind of boil down to what does this passage or this story or this book tell us about how people understand who they are and who God is at the time that they're writing. The, um, the second world, if you like, is the world inside the text. So any part of the Bible that we're reading exists inside the story of the whole of the Bible. Um, loads of people have done loads of work on trying to sort of categorize the story of the Bible. I don't find that, you might find that really helpful. Um, I think sometimes it, it always kind of fails at some point. It feels a bit artificial. But at least thinking, how does this text fit in the wider story of scripture? What does it agree with? What does it challenge? Um, what does it contradict in other parts of scripture? And I think importantly, as the Bible narrative always moves us towards Jesus, um, what do we know about Jesus' values and teachings that might illuminate um, this scripture for us? What does it look like when we read it through the lens of Jesus? And then finally, there's the world in front of the text. That's our world. Um, we're not um, first century Jews or Palestinians. Um, we're not kind of living in the Babylonian empire. We live in the world that we live in. Um, and very famously, someone talked about how you have to um, read the Bible with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And maybe headphones on with a, a film on and maybe um, think about the world in which we live. I think the more that we understand our own culture and are questioning and curious about the values that are, that are kind of um, shown in the stories that we tell in film and TV, by what's in our newspaper and how the media tell us those things, the more curious we are about our own world, the more we'll find that the Bible actually has something provocative um, to say to us in that context. Um, Context is really important if we're going to avoid some of the harm we talked about as well. One of the things that um, thinking about context can also do is help us to stop um, what I call mapping identities from the Bible text into our world today. So to give you a slightly less controversial example, but you know, our, our um, wives in Greco-Roman culture in the first century, um, utterly equivalent in their circumstances, position in society, um, to all wives through the rest of history. So do we do very well when we take a group um, from a New Testament writing and kind of map that identity onto a group that we use the same label for today? Generally, that kind of identity mapping leads us into some of those abuses and harms that we talked about earlier. So... Um, Poured out in a great big list like that, context questions are a bit overwhelming. 
Um, so my point is not to try and make us feel that we all need to be experts in order to read the Bible well, so we needn't bother if we can't think our way through all those questions, but just that context is worth investigating and it's worth the effort. And one of the joys of uh, sermons and books and podcasts is that we can listen to other people who've done some of the work. And um, just as a slight aside, I had two resources to recommend. One is this book. Um, it's, not, it's a really good read. Trust me, I don't really like theology books or academic books particularly. But this one um, is really interesting. It's by Peter Enns, and it's called The Bible Tells Me So. He's a kind of very respected evangelical scholar who's moved quite a long way in his thinking about what the Bible is. So if you want something that really gets into those questions, he's brilliant. The other thing you may recognize is a copy of Jerry's weekly review. Um, if we want to think, um, <laughs> well done, Jerry. If we want to think about the world in which we live and how the Bible might have something to say to the narratives that we live by, then um, that would be a good place for us to start. Okay. Right. I'm going to be a little bit quicker with this one. We could talk about context all day, and I could have given you examples of people using verses badly out of context, but I thought I might pick on a verse that was really precious to someone and say something rude, so I thought we'd stay away from that. Um, if you get the New Testament in a year emails, you will have read this this week. Um, it says this, New Testament in a year challenge has become the New Testament in a year community. And they wrote, we've changed our name. We realize that we shouldn't be inviting individuals to take up an isolated challenge, but invite them into a community of people who are taking up the routine of discovering life with Jesus in light of Christian scripture. It's not a challenge at all now. It's a diverse community. I read it and thought, what a brilliant way to sum up how to read the Bible well together. Um, the model, that model I talked about of private individual study of the Bible, preferably in this thing called a quiet time, I think it's a really, it's a really bad model. It's a really bad model if it's our only model of reading scripture. Um, Reading the Bible together promises a great deal more, especially if we listen out for a diversity of voices, and especially if we kind of check our own privilege. So um, if the Bible is a story often told from below, um, if it's a conversation that's developed over time, um, one of the things that I think is really powerful about reading the Bible in community is to, to ask, um, how is this text read? by those people least represented um, in our community? Um, how does it speak to people and groups who are different to us? One of the joys of my job is I get to kind of listen in on those conversations in lots of different cultures and with lots of different groups of people. And I, um, we do a lot of work with children who've experienced a lot of trauma and we use some um, stories from the Bible and we don't tell them what the stories mean. They're stories about Jesus we just tell them the story. And so their interpretation of those stories fascinate me. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of them, but their sense of how is this good news to me? What am I hearing when I hear this? Um, they're, they're responding from a very different life experience than mine. So I think when we start to open ourselves up to each other's response to the text, so not what you're supposed to think or not what analytically this means, but what our response to the text is, 
then we have a lot to learn from each other in reading the Bible together. We also, um, for those of us who struggle, sometimes reading together is just a much better experience than reading by yourself. If reading big chunks of text is something that doesn't really do it for you, then why not listen to the Bible with someone else? Why not in a small group have a couple of people who are good readers read big pieces of the Bible together, listen to it. It's a story. It's a story that people sat around the fire and walked along dusty roads and shared together. And I think sometimes if our experience of the Bible was a little bit more like that, um, then it might reach in here somewhere rather than just being in the domain of people who are good at reading text and analysing it um, and knowing um, how to think in those kind of ways. Um, you don't have to stretch very far to do this one. Sign up for the New Testament in a Year community. Um, sign up to be a writer. Sign up to read. All you have to do is read, the, read a chapter and respond to it. Um, one of my most um, valuable experiences of um, engaging with the Bible, I think, was in the last 10 years. has been at a point where I didn't really find the Bible interesting at all and very um, rarely read it. And I have a friend who um, is kind of spiritual companion, a spiritual director, and he said to me, do you want to have a, do you want to read the Gospel of John with me? I said, not really. Um, but he kind of went, I'll give it a try. Um, and so I would read and just journal, just write something and send it to him. And he would read the next bit and write his response and send it back to me. And we kept that going like a little kind of pen friend thing for a while. And we were from very different experiences, very different traditions, very different theologies. Um, and so we heard these things from each other um, that were very different to what we'd experienced before. So find a friend and see if they want to read the Bible with you. Okay, so we're coming into land on number four, expect to change. And we're coming into the passage that we began and heard at the beginning. So a passage from 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a younger leader in the church in a context where they're facing a lot of persecution and uncertainty. Um, it's one of the most quoted passages from the Bible, about the Bible. Um, and so as we look at it, I just want us to think a little bit about change. I think ultimately we read the Bible well when we expect it to change us. It's not an intellectual exercise. Engaging with the Bible, with God and with each other somehow produces something in our lives. Um, the Bible is worth reading when we become doers rather than just hearers. For everything I just said about context, I'm part of a little program. Oh, I didn't bring my phone with me, but um, an Instagram program that's just a verse a day. Um, young people, um, sort of a little community of artists who create something, some artwork around a verse, and we post one each day. So it's kind of their response to the verses that we've asked them for. Um, it's a verse a day, so is it going to get ripped out of context? Probably. Um, but um, the kind of angle that we take on it most of the time is to say, do you know what, if, if, you just, if we just took this one verse that we're reading today and put it into practice in our lives or let it shape us, let it shape our view of who we are and how the world works and who God is, what would that produce in our lives today if we believed this truth about ourselves or about somebody else and not the other stuff that's running along in our heads. So we don't have to start by being Bible scholars or by reading massive amounts of it, um, but we have to let what we do read um, 
be open to the idea that it might change us and it might shape who we are in the world. So Paul begins in this passage by pointing out not just what he teaches, but actually how he lives. Um, When he's referring to the scriptures, he's referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom books. Um, But he talks to Timothy first um, about how he's a doer. You know what I teach, Timothy, and how I live and what my purpose in life is, my story. You know my faith and how long I've endured. You know my love and my patient endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. He reiterates community. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you, those people that you've explored the scriptures with. You know them, and it's your coming together of your stories and your lives, and your sharing your lives, and your helping each other be doers, not just readers or listeners, that it's really valuable, and that brings credibility. We're not just what we say we believe, we're what we actually are in the world and here's the famous verse all scripture and he I guess I think Paul is reminding Timothy what the purpose of scripture and all teaching is for he says it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives there's a slightly unfortunate translation issue in this next bit it straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. And Paul doesn't claim that scripture is perfect. Um, There's nothing like infallible or inerrant in this verse, you may have noticed. He just says it's useful. It's useful, and useful is useful. It's useful for shaping our lives. And truth and right are not abstract concepts in this verse. It's not about knowledge or doctrine, having perfect knowledge of scripture. Um, Truth and right are connected to action. They're connected to who we are and how we are in the world, to doing good in the world. That last phrase is um, translated in a different version, is fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. That's referring to a specific concept in Hebrew scripture, Um, that every one of us um, is um, sort of charged with doing good deeds to help repair and restore the world. That's the purpose of the Bible. That's what scripture is supposed to lead us to, is actually action that repairs and restores the world. So finally, to the famous phrase, all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. I think above all, we read the Bible well when it reads us, not when we have intellectual mastery of it, but when when we allow our soul and our hearts to be moved. And that's the mystery of the Bible. It's not magic, it's just mystery. (laughs) Um, That this set of books that we've wrestled with for almost um, 2,000 years as, as a Christian community that shaped our tradition and our practice, that's brought harm, but also much good in the world somehow still has the power to speak to us and shape us and change us. Um, The Bible's written by human authors, that's where I began, but this verse says that scripture's God-breathed or inspired. I think the reference is um, to um, us. We're God-breathed, we're inspired. The story of creation um, talks about how God breathed life into human beings. We're skin and bones and tendon and muscle. We're very earthly, 
real creatures, very much human, and yet somehow the divine, infinite, eternal, creative force of the universe has breathed into us. And that's the metaphor that Paul is using for his experience of scripture. So these very human books that make up the library of the Bible for Paul have been breathed into somehow um, his experience um, is, of exp is of that eternal creative force. So as we wrestle with the Bible ourselves, I pray that that becomes true in our experience as we enter into the story so that it becomes our story. May we be moved and transformed and inspired, breathed into by the infinite, eternal and creative life of God.